G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the semi-final review episode and it is Sunday evening in Melbourne and uh, well, four down, four to go, uh, two pretty good semi-finals which we're going to talk about in some detail. As I say, very good evening to my co-host Mark Fine. How are you finding? I'm well, it's footy weather. Sort of <laughs> today, we really get a sense of the what might be. Of course, we now have two. Well, the remaining games in Melbourne, and as such, vagaries of the weather could come to play play a part. We have certainly had rainy weekends of the last probably for the last four weeks. Well, we did today. Yesterday was, was an lovely. absolute corker. But again, it could be, that's the roll of the dice, isn't it? Yeah, and, it is. And I must say, I've got to say, look, I am old-fashioned, but I sitting there in Melbourne on a Saturday afternoon in September without footy going on, well, without AFL footy going on, it just it doesn't feel right to me. Why not? Well, because there should be an AFL final on in Melbourne and a... September Saturday. Well, there wasn't, but you were able to make do with uh, the Bombrays going around in the VFL yeah, today. Well, probably less, less said about that, the better. And uh, congratulations to Williamstown, who won their way through. And uh, congratulations to Richmond's VFL side as well. So Richmond-Williamstown playing each other in the VFL Grand Final next Sunday afternoon. Just on the AFL, I, I thought two really good semi-finals, but I reckon we needed them. I, I was a bit underwhelmed by the first week of finals, but I thought both of these semis were really good games, good to watch, and um, you know, pretty uh, good. Well, one of them in particular, a suitably thrilling finish. Well, the first final was fascinating because Geelong really got the bit between the teeth, and... What a difference a week makes. Look, we understood against Collingwood that for all of their failures, because so many of their players didn't fire, mm. that the final margin was... Flattering? Yeah, but also tended one, made one understand that if, if their players could lift around the ground, and, and particularly guys like Hawkins and Selwood, who they got great returns out of, and you'll be talking about a player who's probably less thought of, but incredibly important, that a win wasn't impossible. And, gee, West Coast, I'm not saying... They certainly uh, pressed, and I'll ask you exactly what effect did the unthinkable with Willie Rioli have on that final result? Uh, do you want to ask me now or when yeah, we discuss? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I think um, that's... <laughs> I reckon even West Coast would have trouble quantifying it, but just in in 
you know, sort of uh, personnel terms, he, he is a critical part of that side. And I, I thought um, you could tell how much they missed him because they weren't able to trap that ball inside their 50 nearly often enough, um, particularly with one of their key targets. And I'll talk about this a bit later on as well. Um, hobbled and, and not able to offer that much. So it certainly hurt him just purely in terms of the player and psychologically, well, it can't have helped, can it, really? Um, and even then, you know, uh, I, I guess maybe if you're looking for reasons why they died uh, sort of as quickly as they asserted their control, that might be the sort of thing you'd look at. Um and look, plenty. Uh, we're not without controversy in either of these games, too, which we'll discuss. Before we do that, finally, I've got to say, speaking of thrilling finishes, you know what another thrilling finish always is for me? The last bite on an Andrews hamburger. Oh, it's tinged with sadness. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. But you, you, you've eaten almost the whole beautiful thing. And uh, did give him a bit of a plug on Twitter last night, too. And you get down to that last bite. And you just go, well, yes, there is going to be sadness when it's gone, but what a thrilling way to finish with just that last little bite, the tender meat patties, the sumptuous buns, the crisp lettuce, the tomato, all the added extras that go with an Andrew's hamburger. It is thrilling. I find with all hamburgers that one is just not enough, Mm. two is too many, Mm. which is why there is a double patty version at Andrews that can solve that problem. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, I'm not, I know that there is the famous Scottish um, franchise mm. that makes a lot of their burgers with double patties, but you've got to have a good beef. You've got to have, you've got to have a good basis on which to do that. Now, Andrews ticks that box because I'm not really interested in two Scottish patties, but I am very much taken with the double the double cheeseburger, the double burger at Andrews can, on a hungry day, absolutely hit the spot. Well, I'll tell you where they've got it all over the Scottish-named burger chain, and that is the buns. You love their buns. I do love their buns, but the Scottish-named chain, their buns are too sugary. They really are. It shouldn't, you know, if you want a, a, a sumptuous and yet still firm enough bread roll, you, you don't want it to have a sugary taste about it. That's just not right. To quote the great Kramer, are you an, you're an ass man. <laughs> you're a bun man, aren't you? I'm a bun man. This all happens where? Uh, at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, the finest burger establishment in town. I'll tell you what else. I, I've been skiing towards the end of the season and I'm thinking uh, renovations. And actually, I'm not thinking that without a house because it's a dump and it's falling around our ears. So I'm thinking potential rebuild. Where would I go for that rebuild or renovation? Obviously, one place, Nick Spartels and Hardwick Build Co. Why, obviously? Because if you trust the biggest names in football, the Collingwood captain, the Essendon captain, the great Mike Sheehan, amongst others, they put their faith in Nick Spartels and Hardwick. As they should. In fact, I saw uh, Dyson Heppel at the VFL game today on crutches because mm. uh, he's had foot surgery, of course. He's had a genetic foot issue. And see, that's the other thing Nick Spartels will do. You know, if you've had some foot surgery, you're on crutches and you need a specially designed walkway into your renovated home, they're, they're just the people to see. Now, I don't know if that's the case because I've actually been into Dyson's Shh, I was place. just trying to talk it up. He's got, one, he's got something that is magnificent. 
almost defies logic. One of those floating staircases. Have you seen those? What? How does a staircase float? Well, the actual steps on the staircase are attached to the wall, but it does look like it floats in midair. Oh, really? Yeah, it's quite impressive. Uh, incidentally, we received an email from, uh, and Nick will be pleased to hear this, I got an email from uh, someone during the week saying they actually wanted to organise a, a reno with Nick Spartels and Hardwick Bilko, and they had a little bit of trouble finding the website, actually, and uh, I said I'd help them out. So as I'm padding here furiously, I'm looking for the address. I Yes, I, I'm... I will give you a direct number if I could, but there should be, there should be a well hard. Well, see, it's listed under Hardwick Bilco. Okay, well that might be the issue. Yeah, yeah. So go to Hardwick Bilco, and that is it. And yep, that that is easily found. And the address, I've just lost it again. How am I going? Um, we'll give you that at the end of the show. Yeah, but, easy, uh, easy, a, to easy to find. Wouldn't it be good if we got one of those? ticked off on before the end of the year. Well, I'm thinking if we refer enough people, Nick uh, uh, and uh, the uh, the Hardwick boys might, uh, you know, cut us some slack there. Come to your place. Yeah, look, good luck with that. That'll test all your renovating skills, let me tell you. All right, uh, enough monkeying around. Let's get into it. On Footyology, wrap around. All right, two big semifinals and it kicked off at the MCG on Friday evening in front of, well, I have to say, a less-than-capacity crowd. In fact, 51,813. And that's one thing I'll say, Finey. If this game had been played Saturday afternoon, they would have got more than 51,813. Why? Uh, I think the Geelong fans aren't huge on Friday nights. I think those that come up from Geelong, it's a bit of a challenge, you know, particularly those with families. Uh, don't get me wrong here. I understand the commercial imperative, the local footy argument, um, you know, that you might get 5,000 more at the game, but maybe, I don't know, 100,000 fewer viewers on TV. So I get that. But I just uh, I just got a hunch, had it been Saturday afternoon, that they would have got more. Anyway, it wasn't. It was Friday evening. And in the end, it was a powerful 20-point win to the Cats. 13 goals, 10, 88 Defeating West Coast 10-8-68. Four goals to big Tom Hawkins. And obviously we've got to talk about him because at this stage he won't be playing in the preliminary final. Handed a one-match suspension by the MRO. Three goals to Asava Radagalia. Good support. Two to Kelly. Singles to Atkins, Silwood and Buse and Dalhouse. For the Eagles, three goals to Darling. Two to Gaff. Singles to Petrocelli. He's very fast. Ryan, Hickey, Maston and Kennedy. Maston wasn't so fast. When no. When he got caught in the grips. That's right. Who nailed him again? Um, oh, oh. We'll come back Was to it. Was it Menegola? Um, no, I'll, I'll remember in a sec. All right. Well, let's start at the start. I thought we might go through these games chronologically. Sort of makes sense. And you wanted the most complete contrast between last week and this week. It has to have been the first 10 minutes, of course. In the first. You know who it was? It was Atkins. Tom Atkins, well yep. done, Tom. I bumped into Tom's dad too, Mick, who I used to work with yes. in journalism, and uh, he's looking well, and he was a very, very proud father, as he should be. Um, biggest contrast, first 11 minutes last week, Collingwood kicked four goals, and that proved the difference in their win over the Cats. First nine minutes, 40 seconds of this game, the Cats kicked three goals, 
And uh, in the end, I thought it was decisive again. It was a great start. It's funny how, in, and of course, look, the West Coast put themselves back in the game. They led it three-quarter time. They kicked seven out of eight goals at one stage. But it was, when you, when you especially after having been disappointing the week before, when you start a game, and Joel Selwood was great in the first half, when you've got players who were down that immediately get their hands on the ball and get involved in the game, Radigalia, Selwood, soon Hawkins, there's far more optimism for a response, and they gave that response in the last quarter. It, it was imperative that some of these players, more, as much as the team, got off to a better start. And you, you could see the difference in their attitudes straight away. They were very determined to move the ball on quickly. So 5-2 to 1-1 at quarter time. Their ball use was quicker. It was more daring. I think they were prepared to take the odd risk in order to create uh, a more open forward setup. The numbers said a lot in that first quarter. They had 17 inside 50s. That's a heap for a first quarter of a final. And by the first break, they were up uh, 10 in the contested possession, but also significantly up by 15 in the uncontested ball. Joel Selwood, back in the guts, um, was back in town as a leading force in that side. He had nine first quarter disposals. And Cam Guthrie, really important inclusion, he had eight. So they got off to a great start. Uh, even after Jack Darling kicked the Eagles' first goal and only just almost didn't get his foot to the ball in the goal square, but the Cats still finished off strongly in the term thanks to Radigalia, who uh, took two big grabs close to goal, converted both the Cats up by a cool 25 points at quarter time. Now, you mentioned Jack Darling. Of course, famously in last year's grand final, he dropped a mark that, well, had that gone coast to coast, would have made him the most infamous. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to say infamously dropped a mark, really. Footballer in the history of the game. Well, how about the mark he dropped at the start of this game? He just fumbled a chess mark. And with Darling, it's, it's um, girl with the curl, isn't it? Mm, yeah, he is like that. So the signs weren't great early. You know who else was disappointing and cost them dearly in that first quarter. The player that I believe should never have been named in the All-Australian team, and I made that point thereafter. Uh, Shannon Hearn? No, no, McGovern. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right, the drop chess mark. And, well, they And then were... the third one, actually, he flew for a mark. Uh, actually, it wasn't so much him, but the goal Tim Kelly scored. They just defended very poorly in that Nerv- first quarter. Nervously? Yeah. And that was the other... The other um, benefit of taking the game on and moving the ball quickly is it puts a back line under pressure and if it works. Mm. Of course, if there's turnovers, you're going to get killed in the modern game. But if it does come off, then plan A for that back line is always take intercept marks and in, in, in a calm manner distrib- distribute the ball to the good users and away they go. They were never able to settle as they would have liked in that first quarter West Coast because of this far more positive game plan. Well, let's move on to the second quarter because things actually looked even worse before they started to pick up for the Eagles. Tom Hawkins had the first goal of the second term on the board for the Cats in under two minutes and the uh, Geelong were out to a 31-point lead. Uh, second goal for the Eagles, scored by Petrocelli. 
Speed. Speed personified. Jeez, quick. Um, no, very balanced, cool finish. Uh, got the job done. That brought it back to 25 points. But uh, only a few minutes after that, Kelly had his second. Um, took the advantage call after a free kick was conceded on Paddy Dangerfield. Back out to 31 points. And uh, again, you know, some silly turnovers. I think Gaff turned one over. McGovern again, who was having a bit of a Barry Crocker at this stage. So the, t- the turnaround, you thought, how's it going to actually happen? But it did. Um, and it started by way of Liam Ryan, who uh, won a free kick. What was it? O'Connor, uh, a block, which allowed Taylor to mark. Uh, it was the right call. Spot on. And yep. uh, Ryan converted that. There was about nine minutes left in the quarter. That brought it back to 24 points. Darling then took a mark and converted from 40 metres out uh, back to 18 points at that stage. And the Eagles were starting to turn it around. They um, they had a run of, I think, 10 inside 50s to 6 in about a 10-minute period. And, and by the way, run's a good word because Gaff started to have a bearing on the game, didn't he? And in fact, the last 10 minutes of the second quarter, West Coast had 18 to five uncontested marks. And this was the other thing the Cats had done. They'd really taken away their space to chip the ball around. They liked to uh, make sure of their possessions, uh, kicking it to unattended teammates. They hadn't been allowed to do that. But that movement started to work for them. And it was Chris Maston who uh, bobbed up with a snap. Uh, nice handball from Elliot Yo to him. And that brought the gap back to 11 points and it got back further to 10 points at half-time. What were you thinking then was going to happen? Again, the confidence... I was really pleased to see Selwood have an impact in the game. Um, there, there was obviously questions over Dangerfield, and uh, that was sort of an ongoing theme, certainly on TV. I wonder whether... Were you at the game? Mm. Of course you were. Um, I wrote a match report for Footyology. Indeed you did. Whether there was that sense, the drama of, of danger field and fitness, etc., because some of these things are overplayed a bit on the TV broadcast, aren't they? They do run with certain themes during the game. Mm. What was your sense of his... Oh, well, he, he wasn't firing. I mean, he only had, I think, 11 disposals to three-quarter time. He but would... did you put it down to, um, you know, the fact that there was sort of talk during the week and that... that there was a suggestion that there might be an injury being carried here of some serious nature. Didn't occur to me for a second. Exactly. That's what I thought. But, of course, <laughs> dialogue, yeah, these sort of um, subplots are metered out and, and teased out on, on the TV coverage. How did I feel at halftime? I actually thought that Geelong still were the better team. Mm. That, that, that was my sense. But, of course, West Coast, I, and I know you'll talk about Kennedy, there is always a sense that at some point, if Kennedy awakes, then the Darling-Kennedy combination might be just too much, too hot for them to handle. And we've seen that at the G, haven't we? Mm. Of course, that didn't happen. So I was quite... I was I was far more impressed with Geelong than I thought I was ever going to be during the game, and I thought that this was theirs for the taking. Well, you would have been uh, had that view reaffirmed when Radagoya got his third goal of the game to kick off the second half, and that took it back out to 16 points. But then came West Coast's most powerful period of the match, 
and it was four goals in not oh, about 10 or 15, a bit under 15 minutes. Darling had the first of them. Um, uh, Ryan, I'm just trying to read my notes here, but uh, over the back. Oh, that's right. Lovely kick from Ryan into the forward pocket. Darling able to play on and kick a goal from a uh, tight angle, but fairly close to goal. Back to 10 points. And then Andrew Gaff who I think ended up being their best player, had uh, a real purple patch. Uh, two goals to him in a three-minute period. Um, the first of them, he uh, had two involvements in, actually. Helped uh, win the centre clearance, ran on, and then took a handball receive and managed to kick on his left foot from memory to a nice um, on-the-run shot, probably 35 metres out, back to four points the difference. And then the Eagles hit the front about two and a half minutes later where Gaff somehow got under, unattended uh, about 45 metres out, ended up uh, kicking on his left uh, 50 out, and the Eagles had hit the front by two points. Now, at this stage, the centre clearances were pretty um, influential in this. The Eagles had won four to zip at this stage of the third quarter. Danger, Danger was starting to work his way back into proceedings. He had seven disposals by about halfway through the term. But um, Tom Hickey, who was going okay in the ruck as well, won a free kick. Very costly 50-metre penalty. 50 penalty from Sam Menegola. What, do you have any issues with that one? No. Okay. Do you? Uh, not really. No, just checking. You know, a significant moment, I suppose. I'm just, I'm just thinking whether it was... No issues isolated, but also there was nothing else in the game that I, I think made that an inconsistent call. That's how we see it. So he converted from 30 metres out, and uh, all of a sudden, the Eagles with a seven-point lead and looking hot. This, however, was when Geelong really found something. Luke Dowhouse hit the post not long after, and then Joel Selwood. Uh, a mark 40 metres out and uh, a captain's kick, fair to say. Uh, an intercept, I think uh, that was the Lewis Jetta, that's right, uh, trying to find a way out of that defensive 50. Looked to find Dom Sheed and uh, Selwood just chipped in front and pinched the mark, converted the kick. That was a big moment of inspirational leadership and uh, got them back just about on level terms. Josh Kennedy then bobbed up for his only goal of the night and the Eagles were leading by six points at... Uh, no, they weren't leading by six points at three-quarter time. They were leading by four, four points, points, four points at right. three-quarter time. Anyone's game up for grabs? Who do you think was going to win it? Again, I knew Geelong were in the game, but I'll tell you something that I've, I started feeling and that was when we talk about umpiring, I was... I'm impressed, I know this, that by the time you get to the preliminary finals, at uh, the semi-final stage, and then next week, you got the better umpires umpiring. Mm. And there was certainly no home state advantage for Geelong in the umpiring. No. And I felt that this game was on fairly even footing. Now, Kennedy had just kicked his first goal, and that, to me, was the possibility that West Coast might be off to the races. Of course, what happened in the last quarter was, I would say, impossible to predict. I'll tell you what was impossible to predict. One of their goal kickers. You got you had a, oh, yes. you had hundreds there. Yes, uh, and you speak, of course, of Jed Buse. But, um, yeah, very 
un-West Coast-like, but, I mean, let's focus on Geelong. And, look, I, I was in the rooms afterwards. I was talking to various people. I had a good chat to Paddy Danger. Actually, I got chipped by Paddy Dangerfield because he was doing a an all-in presser and I was just hanging at the back having a listen. And um, then, stupidly, uh, I listened to Dermot Brereton shouting something out in the distance, so I went over and see what he was dribbling on about. And when I came back, it was just breaking up and... Paddy said, oh, it was a bit boring for you, was I, in front of everyone? <laughs> so I apologised suitably to him. He was still chipping me on Twitter when I got home and tweeted something about the cricket too. So, well done, Paddy. Love your social media work. Uh, it was all in good fun. But, look, he did say um, that I, I said, what what was the catalyst for, you know, that last quarter burst? And he, he felt – I put this to Chris Scott, actually, too, and he wasn't as enamoured of this view, but um, – Paddy certainly said that he felt that their defenders were just sort of sagging off too much and allowing West Coast that space again that they denied them early. So they made a real focus in that last quarter of getting up in their faces again and just you know cutting off their space, winning the hard ball, and they did it. And the last quarter stats really backed that up. They had 19 more contested possessions in the last quarter alone. Now, if you want sort of some context there, you do that for four quarters and you have a contested ball advantage of 76, which is massive. So a big hard ball quarter for the Cats, the last one. They also uh, won the last quarter in uncontested possession by 36. They had more than double the Eagles' disposals. In fact, the Eagles only had 53 disposals for the entire last quarter. They won the tackle count, and the inside 50s in the last term were 19-6. So it was real domination. It started early. Hawkins again getting an early goal, uh, 1 minute 25 in. Um, and that was that mark on the goal line. Um, pro- perhaps a bit fortunate, a, a shot from Ablett that dropped short, but he was able to convert on the angle, restore their lead. And then that uh, moment you spoke of where the ball got kicked into a, a really strangely open West Coast forward setup, and uh, it bounced up beautifully for Jed Buse, who still had time to gather and sort of size up the goals and then snapped a beauty. He doesn't kick a lot, but he kicked this one. And uh, that was seven and a half minutes in. Cat's now up by eight points, but tellingly, at this stage, they'd had seven to nil inside 50s for the quarter. So West Coast needed to find something, and they didn't. Hawkins again with a uh, strong mark um, just pushing off Barras and converting from a, about a 45-degree uh, angle. That was 12 minutes 40 into the quarter. It was about 11 minutes left. That gave the Cats a 14-point lead. And in the context of how the second half, or the last quarter in particular, was being played out, you thought then one more is going to do this. And it came pretty quickly. Luke Dowhouse, of course, a... Uh, a contest about uh, 25 metres out from goal. Dowhouse picked the crumbs off that and was able to dribble one through from about 20 metres out. That made it 19 points the difference. And uh, there was still just under 10 minutes to play at that stage. But I've got to say, I didn't think like West Coast was showing anything. And that's pretty much how it transpired. That's right. At that point, Geelong had, and well assessed by yourself, they had cut off the dangerous uh, exits from the back line, Lewis Jetta, that Gaff had been closed down upon. And all of a sudden, every kick forward, all of their advances were not calculated. That They weren't measured. They weren't able 
they were involved in Reels Finals football. Mm. And when you're three or four goals down, it's a huge mountain to climb with every single kick being hard won or every possession hard won and, more importantly, every disposal a bit rushed. And that made it almost impossible for them to come back. So you're right, they never look like putting together the sort of football that they were able to play in that early part of the third quarter. So hats off to the Cats. In the end, that uh, final margin, 20 points. The Eagles uh, only kicking one behind in the entire last term. Uh, very resilient performance from Geelong. I look. I must admit, in you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But I look back now on the Eagles' last month or so, and remember they lost the game against Richmond at the G by a kick, and we thought, oh, there's, there's, that was a good game. Yeah, well. and and we thought they'd come out of that with a lot of positives, other than the loss. But of course, then the next week they lose to Hawthorne, cost themselves a double chance, a soft kill with Essendon, week one of the finals, where they weren't really extended at any stage. And they were found wanting. Um, so they sort of, I, I feel like if you have a look at that last four or five weeks, they really sort of went off the boil again. Well, taking their eye off the ball in that last round has cost them, realistically, a chance to play and defend their premiership no in doubt. the grand final. No doubt. And we, it's, a good, it's a good reminder, and hopefully footyology will be doing this in years to come. And we should always remember the year that West Coast lost that final round game and how damaging it is to drop out of the top four. Mm. Because, you know, you can try and rationalise it. And, of course, from within the club, they're going to want to accentuate the positives going into the finals. They were very upbeat about having that first home final against Essendon and then felt that they could come to the MCG where they've had such success over that previous season and set things right. They never recovered from it. And then to add the Willy Rioli scenario, mm. which I think is important because of the loss of the player. But don't forget, this is the West Coast Eagles who had that, you know, if, if any club would be wincing at a, a positive or, in this case, a deceptive act through Asada, any, any suggestions of um, drug use and impropriety, that club still, of course, bears not only the scars but has the daily reminder of tragedies through Ben Cousins and, of course, Chris Mainwaring. And it, it, it's the last thing. They're the last club who would want that controversy during the finals. And, of course, the timing was just excruciating for them, wasn't it? I yep. mean, you know, they were already in Melbourne when they yep. were told. So um, speaking about... Uh, factors, uh, we need to talk about the Tom Hawkins incident and the ramifications for the Cats. So uh, my feeling on that was it it had to be a week, albeit, and I did tweet this, I, I look at the, <laughs> we'll talk about this one as well, the Toby Green uh, one that he got fined for with Marcus Bontempelli, and I look at, I contrast the two, given that they're different incidents, but you know, if Green is able to get off with a fine for that, I look at what Hawkins did, and I thought, in that context, he's a bit stiff to get a week. In isolation, I think a week is fair enough, and I think an appeal has very, very little chance of getting up. Yeah, I'll speak on that in hot or not, but you are correct, sir, because we are living in times, it, there's never been a better time to clip another footballer to hit and to get away with it. We have a philosophy now through the match review officer. And I almost think when Michael Christian took on the job 
there was obviously discussions with him and the power brokers who run the AFL as to philosophically how do we look at suspensions. And I don't want to be too cynical here, but there is, to me, a sense of the game suffers, the eyeballs on TV suffer, the gate suffers when stars aren't playing. So do what you can to get keep them on the field. And that's how we've come up with a fine system that has allowed players to get away with football's version of blue murder. Toby Green may not have conclusively gouged Bontempelli's eye, but he was feasting on Bontempelli's motionless and and um, vulnerable body around the head region for way too long. Totally unnecessary. Right, go in there, it's a final, and you know, do a Mumford and accidentally you know, fall your forearm across him. But once you go back mm. to the to the prone play, you are out. Yeah. And I agree. But so, you know, for both him and for Tom Hawkins, your one week in, his, in historical, uh, historical sense are actually very generous suspensions that you are now allowed to appeal with no risk of doubling. Yeah. Well, um, the the other thing I'd, about, I'd like to see them fail and miss, you know, miss more chance of getting into the grand final. The the other thing about comparing the two is Green was able to manufacture a well, no, he didn't manufacture anything. He threw himself on the mercy of the court. Yeah, and uh, yeah, look, I, I don't think we heard enough about that one. I, I'm not comfortable about how that one was resolved at all, but. There, there, were, there seemed to be no ifs and buts about the Hawkins one. It's out in the open. It's clearly visible. Um, you know, look, Schofield was able to pick himself up and, and play on. But, you know, it was a, it was a decent whack. And it, it's the unnecessariness. Un, unnecess- is that a word or is it un, uh, unnecessity? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a journalist. Um, anyway, you know what the, I mean. The it, it futility. Just, the futility. It, could, it couldn't have been rationalised. There's just absolutely no need for it. Um, so I think in that context, it's and gee, it's going it's going to hurt them. It is going to really, really hurt them. Do you feel that that was part of a re-engaged Hawkins that kicked four goals? You can't what about, that got him going or whatever happened of, in the third quarter. No, I'm saying, but it was part of his psyche for the game to be more aggressive. Yeah, to be more aggressive. Remember a couple of years ago, he just started being aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. It was as though it was the final. Yeah, he was hitting the umpire at once. <laughs> no, no, I don't really mean But that. he's always been a, 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 no, not always. He, he had, for most of his career, been scrupulously fair to the point of almost avoiding um, incidences of, I remember against Hawthorne, he got hit in the back of the head that often by Kyle Cheney. He mm. should have just belted him. Yeah. But he went out of his way not to hurt him at one point. Yeah, And yeah. I think he changed his attitude for the better. Yeah. Maybe somebody impressed upon him to play a little bit more unsociably, and that was unfortunately the manifestation of it. Well, you've got to pick your moments when you're going to be unsociable. The uh, ramifications of it are huge. We'll talk about that probably more on Thursday sure. when it comes to selection. But um, for me, this game is best summed up by by a song that's that you would sing when you look at Geelong's best players as named by the AFL, and I think they got it absolutely correct. By the way, uh, the best players as listed officially for the game who were Selwood, Guthrie, Radaglia, Hawkins, Tui, and Menegola. Now, how about that for redemption 
for a group of footballers from the previous week. But Guthrie, who was, you know, um, obviously called upon. But Selwood, poor against Collingwood. Yeah. Radigalia, very disappointing. Yeah. Hawkins, goalless. Mm. Tui, I'd almost pensioned him off. Mm. And Menegola, probably not as bad, but still nowhere near as effective as he was against West Coast. So what's, what's the song? Redemption song by the great Bob Marley. Oh, see, I'm not into reggae. I don't even know it. <laughs> you don't know Redemption song? <laughs> no. Oh, I, I know Walk On By by Peter Tosh and Mick Jagger. Good for you. All right. Um, time to move on, I think, and talk about the other semi-final at the Gabba on Saturday evening. Well, cracker of a game, Finey. Uh, I felt like the final series needed a, a shot in the a metaphorical shot in the arm, and this is the game. I'll tell you who needed a shot in the arm was Charlie Cameron. Well, he probably yeah, he probably <laughs> did, and he probably got one too, a totally legal one. This was a corker of a game. In the end, GWS winning by three points with a goal inside the last three minutes of the game by Brent Daniels. The Giants, 12-11-83, defeating Brisbane, 11-14-80. Three goals to Jeremy Cameron, two goals to Toby Green, who at this stage will not be playing in the preliminary final. We'll talk about that. Two to Finlayson, singles to Lloyd, Hopper, Williams, Kelly and Daniels. For Brisbane, three goals to Eric Hipwood, two to Charlie Cameron, singles to Berry, Zorko, Lyons, Rayner and McStay. Got to say, Finey, I thought the first quarter of this game was as gripping a quarter of footy as I've seen all season. And uh, once again, the start proved crucial. And it was the Giants who got the good start. Um, Significant stuff happening inside the first couple of minutes. Of course, only, what, 90 seconds into the game, Charlie Cameron accidentally collected by teammate Lockie Neal and it left him with a very limp arm and uh, looked like it could have been broken actually, such was the amount it hyper-extended and uh, he was taken off and we thought, well, is that Brisbane gone already? Certainly he looked gone. Um, a significant tagging role assigned to the Lions' Nick Robertson on Lockie Whitfield and he did a, a fine job indeed. But the Giants really got the jump here and it started with a goal to Toby Green inside three minutes and of course an act of ill-discipline from the Lions, it was um, Darcy Gardner who remonstrated with Jeremy Finlayson after the green goal and without a restart, dramatic, without a restart from the green goal, Finlayson gets a free kick uh, pretty much right in front. He converted that, so the Giants leading by 12. And then a mistake, um, Jeremy Cameron, a beautiful shot, from near the boundary after uh, an accidental, well, they're all accidental, aren't they, out in the full from Luke Hodge and uh, a snap from Cameron from about 30 metres out, but a very, very tight angle. Eight minutes in and the Giants already leading by 19 points. And then under 10 minutes, uh, Lloyd, a goal to him, uh, marked on the 50-metre line after they won a centre-bounce clearance. So blink of an eye stuff. Brisbane already trailing by 25 points. I've spoken about this before, and I hear coaches and players speak about it. It's about getting a foothold in the game. Nobody believed at that point that GWS were that much better than Brisbane, or more importantly, Brisbane were that much worse than GWS. But you've got to get 
a foothold in the game. You must forget the first four goals. You've got to start playing the game on an even basis. You've got to get a goal, and it's got to start to become a, a two-way battle. And they just had to find their feet. And I'm not surprised. It, the, one of the more underrated players in the competition, the very talented Jared Berry goals for Brisbane, and they are now in the game. Well, they, they got uh, four goals in a burst of just over 10 minutes. As you say, Berry got the first of them. Um, Eric Hipwood, the second, uh, good confidence builder for him. He got in front, got the mark in front. Uh, lovely um, centering ball from Daniel McStay, which found him, actually. So that yep. enabled Hipwood to get them a bit closer. And then Charlie the Cameron. team lifter. This is the yeah, it was inspirational. The, it was the Dermot Brereton 89 grand final yep. moment for them, really, wasn't it? Uh, similar, going with the ball. But he had to dive for the mark, of course. And Aidan Kaur... Boy, he made him feel it, uh, slammed down on that shoulder as he took the mark and you could see him grimacing in pain, but got up and uh, snapped around the corner. A lovely goal to make it only eight points the difference. And then virtually from the next centre bounce, in, in fact, it was the next centre bounce, it was textbook ruck work from Stephen Martin, who I thought was outstanding in Brisbane coming back. Lovely tap over the head to Lockie Neal. Ball goes inside the 50, and uh, Dane Zorko on the run uh, kicks a goal, and all of a sudden that Giants lead is cut to two points with the Lions having won eight of the previous ten clearances. So Martin absolutely crucial in this spell. And then, of course, they made it five on end with Jared Lyons kicking a goal just before the siren. Brisbane going to that first quarter break with a six-point lead. So the game is back on even footing. You could make a very good case to say that Brisbane have got all of the momentum. Uh, Cameron inspirational. The crowd is engaged. And I've got to say that I thought that Brisbane at this point were... This is what I was worried about GWS. Brisbane reminded me in that quarter of the way they took to Richmond in the first quarter. And Richmond, of course, resilient, confident, have their own game plan, no panic, were able to quickly uh, arrest the slide and play the game on their terms. I didn't think GWS necessarily had that in them, which made the next three quarters of football pulsatingly interesting. Yeah, well, it, it was fantastic resilience, wasn't it? I, th- I think one of the keys to today's footy is it's so momentum-based now. There are so many... Um periods during a game now where either side will get a run on and it's knowing how to halt that momentum and then hit back with your own sort of counter burst which I think ends up winning or losing games and the Giants... Well that's why Brisbane's great to watch because a lot of teams when they are put under that pressure try to slow the game down. You'll have a look at Collingwood for example and obviously they're very good at it, they're in the preliminary final but when they are under siege they will spread the ball wide and it will not be a Quick response, but Brisbane counterpunch. So it's great to watch them because their only response to when a team does get on a roll is try to attack in kind. So they are a great team to watch, Brisbane. Well, they are. They are absolutely a great team to watch. But I, I thought the Giants answered him in the second quarter beautifully. It was kicked off by Toby Green, a very, very smart 
piece of thinking. Didn't have time to take the ball with his hands near the goal square. Kicked it uh, off the ground or in midair virtually and um, got it through. Giants took the lead again. Hipwood answered for Brisbane. Co- um, that was a coach's son goal. What do you mean? Oh, when I played Little League football, we had some coaches and their sons weren't great players and they'd play like in the forward pocket or back pocket and they'd sometimes just run into the goal square and, and almost defend. They'd put, they'd put themselves between their teammates kicking a goal and the goal. and it would, That was great play by Zorka. It was. Uh, again, straight from a centre bounce clearance yeah. and, and they were proving critical in, in what Brisbane were doing. But the Giants hit back again. Goal to Hopper, who found some space over the back of Luke Hodge. And uh, then we had a bit of Brisbane, just to their cost, switching off at critical moments here and there. And this was one of them. Mumford got a free kick near the 50, dished off a handball to Zach Williams. The obvious. Ran, the, yeah. yeah, but they didn't pick up on it. And Williams was able to encroach just inside the 50, let loose, and another goal to the Giants. And at this stage, inside 50s to the quarter, 12-5 the Giants' way. So they were um, they were dominating play. Cam Rayner dropped a, a bit of a sitter of a mark for Brisbane. And then Jeremy Cameron, uh, mark and snap goal around the corner, got around uh, Harris Andrews probably too easily. Hasn't had two great finals, Harris Andrews, your yep. boy. Yep. Uh, six minutes left to play before halftime at this stage and the Giants 12 points up. Rayner then found his uh, bearings, I suppose. Um, another goal coming straight from a centre bounce clearance. Uh, Neil providing the handball to Rayner, who snapped, and that lead was reduced to six points. And Finlayson extended it again just before half time, about uh, just under three minutes left, when he had a long shot that no one actually touched and. The response was so muted, in fact, you thought, hang on, that can't be a goal. Oh, it is a goal. But GWS restoring their advantage just on half-time, going into half-time with a 12-point lead. There were some alarm bells ringing, and that was that the dangerous key forwards clearly belonged to GWS, and this would play out in the third quarter where Cameron kicked a brace. Now, unfortunately, Eric Hipwood has he's tantalizing but he's not a consistent forward and this would play out I think in the last quarter when Brisbane had so much of the ball but concerns here was that the underrated Finlayson was hitting the scoreboard albeit unconventionally with that free kick before the ball returned to the center and this one that got over the top but you've got Finlayson a danger but Cameron is on top of Harris Andrews and Brisbane clearly now, to me, need to get the ball into the forward line in a more efficient manner. And unfortunately, that was not going to happen for the rest of the game because we'll talk about it, but on numbers, they should have won this game. It's great having a key forward, though, that you want to to hit up. And Cameron is that man. Well, uh, credit here to Brisbane... <clears throat> after, pardon me, after half time for, uh, I, I guess, regaining that inv- advantage in, in general play. Uh, this is where conversion started hurting him, though. Jared Berry uh, kicked one out in the full. Uh, he kicked a point from a, another opportunity. This was after Cameron had kicked the first of the second half for the Giants, who, who by then led by 19 points. That was the moment at w- which I thought, 
I sensed a bit of a Richmond. I thought, geez, if Brisbane don't wake up here, this game could be over in about two or three minutes. And fortunately, they did wake up. They wasted a couple of chances. Critical goal for them. Didn't come until the 20-minute mark. Second goal of the quarter, actually, not till the 20-minute mark. But it was from McStay. Nice little left foot snap from about 30 metres out. That was a massive goal for them. It got them back within 11 points. And then the loudest roar all, all evening, Charlie Cameron marking on 50 and putting it through. Back to five points the difference with under four minutes left on the third quarter clock and I thought we're going to have an epic finish on our hands. And that's exactly what we had but again hard to predict how it was going to finish we'll talk about that in a moment I thought Brisbane would win I, I well, thought, yeah, well I've... they certainly should have won this game. They had the ball inside their 50 so often. Now here's the point I want to make Rowan and that is when you kick the ball sort of aimlessly into your own forward line, of course you don't score, but it does something else. And what it does is it, it, it builds the resolve and confidence of the opposition backman. Mm. And we saw almost through the game, Phil Davis not growing in stature, but Phil Davis clearly having the confidence and the ability to now not spoil, as you would tend to do as a def- key defender in a final, but to repel via marking. Yeah. Oh, and to know that you've got teammates who, who are similarly emboldened too, and he had them in Nick Haynes and uh, Zach Williams, who I thought were both outstanding as well. Yeah. No, you're quite right. And look, Brisbane got the start they wanted in the last quarter, didn't they? Eric Hipwood snaps... Uh, two and a half minutes in, it's back to two points of difference. Uh, we then had some of these more missed chances by the Lions. Hipwood hit the post. wasn't the easiest shot in the world, but it was certainly gettable. That levelled the scores. Hugh McLuggage kicked a point, so Brisbane just in front. And then another defensive lapse, finally. These were crucial, and yep. it was when Jeremy Cameron marked about 60 metres out. Somehow, Josh Kelly was able to get free in a forward pocket Cameron was able to spot him up, and yeah. he marked uncontested. Very simple, and wasn't the it? Goal. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was very simple. Again, from that point, virtually until they were able to break forward and get the ball to Daniels, there was a number of kicks that went inside fifty to two on ones. Poor man, poor poor um, vision by a lot of the guys who were at this point hopefully bobbing the ball into the forward line. Well, here's some more evidence of that. They got their second post. Brisbane had their second poster of the last term when Oscar McInerney hit the post. Uh, again, a, a gettable shot. Uh, that was about 10 and a half minutes in. Now, at this stage, uh, Brisbane had had 15 inside 50 entries in just over 10 minutes. I mean, that is massive for the grand return of just one goal. And it was 16-4 to four for the quarter, only about 30 seconds after that. So absolutely dominant in terms of general play. Uh, the next big moment, obviously, into time on now, 23 and a half minutes in. Alan Christensen held by Adam Kennedy on about a 45-degree angle. Oh, that's a, it was a rough call. If you look closely at it, he definitely, that is Christensen, had a handful of Kennedy's jumper. Mm. Now, yet... You know, there's two things First, the umpires look for. It's always the retaliator. It's it, it was almost simultaneous because Kennedy did have that that 
um, incriminating hands around the torso. Mm. But I think he was being dragged towards Christensen by Christensen, who clearly had a handful of Guernsey. It's all about angles, and Christensen got the free kick. Good finish by him too. Uh, Brisbane take the lead again with five minutes and nine seconds left to play, and thus would ensue five of the most thrilling minutes of this entire season. Couldn't tell what was going to happen. GWS still resisting everything, but... Sam Taylor positioning himself well. Yeah, they. Yeah, you're right about their confidence growing with every... Um, uh, what's the word? F- uh, misguided forward entry. Correct. That's what I was looking for. And then finally, the ball broke out to the wing. Looked like it was going to be a series of stoppages around the wing. Didn't happen, though. A crucial, crucial... Non-call, uh, the best rugby throat cutout pass you've yep. ever seen from Sam, Sam Reid to Josh Kelly. Uh, Kelly did well to get a handball forward to, I think it was Toby Green. Uh, Green then got it to Himmelberg. Himmelberg, Himmelberg Pressed up on the boundary line. Himmel- a really good kick. Yeah, well, he was under enormous heat. The kick went probably as high as it went long, but it still stayed inside the realms of play. And we should say a lot of this was done on the tightrope of the boundary line. So you just felt, I was, I was just saying, just knock them out, just take play, just, you know, this this was a almost a Hail Mary play of, of, of momentum, but I felt a couple of times Brisbane had the opportunity to, to short-circuit it. Well, the ball bounced up and Brent Daniels saw his chance and he came from a fair distance behind Alex Witherden to just get in front of him, grab the ball, burst through. Uh, Witherden looked like he was out in his feet. Uh, good play, but he was, he was just about shot. And a lot of them look shot by this stage of the game. But great running by Daniels. He took the ball. He worked inside the 50 as well as forward to uh, reduce the angle. Still went the check side, interestingly, on his right foot. Cue Jason Dunstall. Because Jason will, again, go spare over... Oh, well, that's more the dribble kick, though, no, isn't it? No, yeah. also, he's very... He can't believe that players don't use the drop punt when running in. And use these check sides. I know the dribble kick is what he's famous for, but this was a banana on the run on a 15-degree angle. But it was the right kick for Brent Daniels. Yeah, well, I saw him interviewed straight after the game, and he said, I've missed a few drop punts this year. So whatever works, I guess. And it was a, it was a beautiful kick. It never really looked like missing. And GWS hit the front with only 2 minutes 34 seconds left on the clock. And from that point... So they, the one thing happened from that point that made me wish Brisbane won the game. What was that? The most courageous mark by Lyons. Oh, yes. I wrote that down. It Lyons, was such mark. a... Oh, gee. It was out of nowhere. It's such a great mark. I with, hope it's With the flight, wasn't with it? With the flight. Yeah. But also, with the big men bearing down. Yeah. It was skill. It was courageous. He's had a great season. And I really felt that that was worthy... Of that, that they're the heroics that win a game. Yeah, but GWS very, and I spoke to you about this prior to us coming on air. Had this been a JLT game, they would have been called three times for intentional out of bounds, mm. walking it out of bounds, paddling it out of bounds. A kick, one kick that I'm very surprised out of their back line was not paid. Uh, 
in fact, I reckon four times they could have been paid. And, and really, I think one of them should have been paid. It, none of them would have been any more than an opportunity for Brisbane to pump the ball back in, which they weren't doing very well either. But the umpiring was so lax, I call it lax on that score, that the game almost fizzled out over the boundary line. Yeah, well, GWS, credit to them for defending so well in that last two and a half minutes. Ball was in their uh, forward line when when the siren went, didn't uh, wasn't it? And the final uh, quarter tallies, a very wasteful 2-5 to Brisbane. They'll rue that inaccuracy. And the Giants only 2-1 in the last term. Inside 50s in the final quarter, 19-7. So GWS didn't create many chances, but they took the ones that had to be taken, hung on and won, without a doubt, the best victory of their uh, relatively short AFL existence. Two incidents that we need to talk about before we move on to other stuff in this game. One, uh, Jeremy Cameron and the treatment meted out to him by Adam Kennedy, for which he was warned Charlie. by the umpire. Who did I say? Jeremy. Oh, sorry. Charlie Cameron. Wrong side. Um, it's been contentious. There's been a lot of debate about this. It seems to be that it's the posse of former players who are most outraged by the umpire giving that warning, saying it's not within his remit to do that. Um, I did a bit of uh, searching on my most recent copy of the AFL rules, which is this year's copy. Here is the relevant rule. And my understanding of this is that uh, it basically backs up umpire Sean Ryan in his warning to Adam Kennedy. It's 17.12e if you're looking for it. And the phrase is, free kick will be paid if a player, quote, makes unreasonable or unnecessary contact with an injured opposition player. Now, I suppose the debate you can have is, is a player who is on the ground partaking in play, not lying injured or making his way off, should he be classified as fit? Yes. Okay. If you you go off, get treatment and come back on. So if you're lying on the ground injured or you're on your way off injured, that applies. You're saying that that rule shouldn't have applied. Correct. Okay. Do you know the player that got suspended for um, dealing with for mis, um, roughing up a player before he got off for treatment? Well, was it the Nick Rewalt one with Mal Michael and no. Chris Scott? No? No. Maybe that precipitated the rule, but Lee Montagna actually received a suspension for sort of jumping into a player that was injured on the ground. Yeah, I tell you, he should have received a suspension for interfering with an injured player. Campbell Brown in the 2004 line in the uh, sand And, of game. course, Stephen Baker received five weeks. Oh, yes, yeah, Steve Johnson. Yeah, for, for whacking away Johnson's knuckles, whereas Johnson got far less for actually almost killing Steve Baker, which well, was odd. This debate's been going on for a while. I remember when Matthew Lloyd was wearing uh, a thumb guard or yeah. something and Steve Credio. Well, that was it. That that They went back to that Credio, you know, <clears throat> slapping at that. So, But, look, I... I I accept what you're saying. I understand both sides of this argument, but I'm actually okay with the umpire issuing that warning because it depends on your reading of injured, but what is not debatable is that what Kennedy was doing is unnecessary. Yeah, okay, if you want to, you know, if if we're playing by the sort of morality of the 1970s, yeah, you make them earn it and blah, 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 but it was unnecessary. He, He wasn't 
injuring him in an act of play, was he? They were jogging down the ground. Yeah, targeting him. Yes, and I don't think that's a great look for the game. No, no I, understand. I understand. So I'm okay with the warning. Now, in the bigger picture, I agree with you. In fact, I was quite, by the end, I'd say incensed, but maybe not incensed, but I was put off by what was deemed to be GWS's fantastic turnaround against the Western Bulldogs, yep. couched in the terms of how they attacked Bontempelli. Now, I, I can't see why a champion of the game, which Bontempelli is, who plays fair, should be subject to that treatment and then post-game that be lauded for being match-winning and ultimately GWS coming of age and doing what they always should have done. In the end, they got their comeuppance because obviously one person who thought that it was just, you know, not only the the right thing to do, but something that he should continue on with was Toby Green, who's done as unintelligent a thing on the football field as possibly you could imagine. All right, we know, that's the second thing we need to talk about. Leader. Okay, well, he has been handed a one-match suspension for... Um, Unre- the quote is unreasonable or unnecessary conduct uh, contact contact sorry yep. to the eye region of Lockie Neal. Uh, it's been classed as intentional, low impact, high contact. He has been suspended for a week. What I find incongruous is that the Bontempelli one to me looked worse. Was sent to the tribunal because it was deemed to be serious misconduct, and the tribunal has soften the blow with a $7,500 fine. And incidentally, having read the evidence, the AFL didn't seek a suspension. I find that very, very sus. They sought a lesser fine. They were seeking a $5,000 fine. I don't... Is it just me or has there not been enough um, outrage about that? The the AFL basically blatantly interfering in the process. Well, as I said, philosophically, the AFL have obviously taken the viewpoint that the stars should be on the field and are better punished through their hip pocket, which is not the way tribunals or suspensions work in any sport around the world. So in defence of Green, it looks to me like they're, um, they're squaring off by now giving him a week. And, it, it, there's a, and the other incongruity here is that the Bontempelli one has been deemed by the MRO serious misconduct and sent straight to the tribunal. This is unreasonable, unnecessary conduct. Why does this get a suspension and the first one right. gets a fine? It should be mentioned that the eye injury that was um, shown over and over as suffered by Bontempelli, it was established did not occur during that incident. So... The problem is that what we are dealing here with is a week for eye gouging. And it seems as though unable to categorically prove any eye gouging in the Bontempelli incident, they let him off. This time, they, the match review officer feels that there is enough evidence to charge him with eye gouging. This is where the system fails. Because last week, the tribunal, as it functioned for most of the hundred plus years that football has been played after the VFL was formed in 1897, would have had the tribunal chairman say this to Toby Green. We didn't prove tonight that you eye gouged, but you went a player who was unable to defend himself around the head region. You do that again, 
and I'm suspending you. And it won't be, wouldn't be for a week. Well, that's what they've done. They haven't because they've had to now prove eye gouging. As soon as he touched the head of another player in that similar situation, we, didn't, we shouldn't have had to say contact to the eye region. Two weeks in a row of this attacking defenceless players above the shoulder should have been enough. We've had to sort of establish that there was an eye gouge here. I don't give a tinker's cuss if there's an eye gouge. Mm. Toby Green's a friggin' idiot, and he's gone the head again. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I, all, I don't all, care if it was his nose or his ear. All I'm saying is he should have been rubbed out last week, and having not been rubbed out last week, I think he's stiff to get rubbed out this week. I, I don't, because I think... They've this finally, was a lesser offence. But they've got him more conclusively on a bit of an eye gouge. I don't know if they... Well, having maybe I need to look at it again, but on, on the couple of replays I've seen of it, it looks less conclusive to me than the Bontempelli But one. you know that there was a medical report that Lockie Neal did receive contact to the eye. Through, okay. Like Brisbane have said that, you know, he, he was, he was, a, he was um, given treatment to uh, an injury around the eye. So... They look at those things and one and one equaled ridiculously not two but one because he's only got one week. All right. They're clearly going to have a go at the tribunal. We're recording this before that happens. Do you think he'll get off taking it to the tribunal? No. But this is where if they take it, he should be risking double. Yeah. Why waste everybody's time, him and Hawkins, with no, with no downside? Of course they're going to appeal it. The only downside is money. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think he'll get off, but I think that'll have more to do with image than the um, legality of the uh, case. What What happens when you fail in these appeals? It's not just money; it's something else. Uh, well, you don't risk anything by appealing now. Yeah, you don't risk for the player anything. Is it something to do with the soft cap, or there is a, a greater implication for a failed appeal? I'll check during the next break. All right, uh, that is enough on the two semi-finals. Let's talk about the highs and lows of two great semi-finals. On footyology, hot or not. All right, Finey, plenty of drama, plenty of controversy, plenty of highlights in Hot or Not this week. I'm going to kick us off with a hot. We talked about it, of course, during the review. His name is Phil Davis, and uh, one of the more articulate and intelligent players in the AFL, one of the more understated leaders, because he's not necessarily very demonstrative out there, or you know, he's not a screamer and a yeller, but he has a quiet authority about his leadership, I think, and he has been fantastic for the Giants. He was a big loss for Adelaide when he went, but he's been terrific for this club and uh, love the way he goes about it. And maybe the fact that he is intelligent tends to undersell his virtues as a key defender. But uh, he was number one in the AFL this year for intercept marks and never have they been of more value than they were during the last quarter of that thriller against Brisbane. He took six marks for the game, all of them intercepts, uh, he and Nick Haynes just controlled the ball every time Brisbane attacked in that frantic final 30 minutes. He finished this game with 14 disposals. He had four rebound 50s. He also had nine one percenters, which was the most of any player on the ground. He's a great reader of the footy, which obviously helps in your interceptability. 
but he is a real general down there, not only in defence, but of that whole side, of, as of course you'd want him to be, being a captain. I thought it was just a terrific game from him, and uh, I think we undersell his virtues as one of the very best defenders in the competition. Of all the foundation players for both GWS and Gold Coast, has Phil Davis sort of won the race tortoise hairstyle? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. I guess until he got injured. Uh, Callum Ward, I mean, he's missed this year injured, yeah. most of this year injured, but uh, probably those two, and no surprise, they are co-captains. Yeah, but, you know, as I said, tortoise in the hair, ablet started yeah, early, yeah. early, and um, Hardbrow's well, been very good. We've got to say that, you know, in a poor team, he's been great. But I think as we sit here now, you make a great case for Phil Davis. Yeah, no, it's a good call. My hot is Brisbane. Easy when a team goes out in straight sets to look at maybe what needs to be done to improve the situation next year. And there is definitely room for improvement. Luke Hodge, of course, we should celebrate in retirement played a really good general's role down back. That needs, hopefully that will be um, a baton that he has already passed on. Just on Luke Hodge, and you're right, um, remiss of us not to mention him at all. Um, Here's the ultimate comment on Luke Hodge for me. Played in five grand finals. Four of them were premierships, uh, but he was a fantastic, he's the best grand final player I've seen. I've seen a lot of guys playing grand finals. But of the five grand finals he played in, he was in officially in the best four players on the ground four times. The only grand final he wasn't one of the best on the ground, they lost, not coincidentally. Two Norm Smith medals and finished fourth in the voting in the other two winning grand finals. It says everything, really. My favourite Luke Hodge moment, very quite early in his career, I was in a group of people that included him, not that we had any dealings, but we'd gone from one place, and this is in the off-season, to another venue, and we are all going in, and he was not allowed entry because he was wearing thongs. Oh, yeah. And one of the blokes said, I'll, I'll nip you back to my place, put a, you know, get a pair of shoes and whatever. And he goes, I like wearing thongs, and he just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I want to keep wearing thongs. He, he's a, a, ter- <laughs> a terrific bloke. He's never lost that sort of home-spun home, uh, country Thing and I was thinking when he when he was doing his lap of honour last night. Actually, I was thinking if as many people who say, "Gee, I'd love to have a drink with Hodgie," actually do have a drink with Hodgie, he is going to be permanently pissed for the next ten years. But he's not that sort of bloke. Now this I isn't your hot, is it? No, Brisbane is my hot. Okay. Yes, they had a great run with injuries, but they played an engaging style of football with a a coach that you just want the best for. And we should note that they broke a record in the NFL. I believe they won the premiership this weekend, having gone through the season undefeated with yeah. a twenty and zero record. And they beat uh, Southport, I think. Yeah. They smashed them, didn't they? I think they smashed everybody right. on a weekly basis. But yeah. still, there are three other, you know, teams that partake in the NFL from AFL level. Yeah, and they most often than not get thrashed. So it's not a fait accompli that you just play there and win a flag. And no one's ever done it before in the NFL. So it's been a. a Season of exciting football, unexpected highs, and more power to them. Well done, Brisbane. And it's not a matter of wanting or begrudging or what other fans think. Football needs football played like the Brisbane Football Club. Yeah, no, here, here. Been absolutely outstanding to watch. 
uh, are not for me next and uh, not one I enjoy giving. But finally, I've got to say, I'm starting to really worry about Josh Kennedy. Um, Eagles really needed him to fire this final series and he didn't really fire a shot against the Cats. Just looking at some numbers, uh, played 22 games this season as opposed to only 14 last season. But his goal per game average is well down, 2.2 this season as opposed to 3.1 last season. I think what's most significant about the ageing of this guy is other stats. They are um, far fewer tackles this season than last. He's always been one of the hardest working key forwards in the competition. Here's another interesting one. Half as many average, we're talking, because he played eight more games this year, but on average, half as many inside 50s. So he's not covering the territory he used to. Now you can say, well, maybe the Eagles are telling Darling to do that and Kennedy to stay more anchored to the goal square. That could be true. But he doesn't look as nearly as mobile to me, as capable of making that ground, getting up and back the ground um, as often as he used to. I think the worry here is he's 32, and we see this happen so often with guys in their early 30s that once their form declines, it just seems to decline very fast. He's been a fantastic player, and I'm not by any means saying he's finished, but I reckon he'd want to have a pretty good uninterrupted pre-season to see him back to that sort of Coleman-level standard. And um, look, the Eagles, they've got plenty of tall timber, so it won't be the end of the world, but... I'm pretty sure they'd still rather have Kennedy as part of the equation than not. So, fingers crossed. I hope he has a big pre-season and comes back bigger and better than ever next year. But at 32, I'm worried. Does he need to reunite with his best mate and offsider? Who's that? Wilson. Doesn't he look like Tom Hanks in Castaway? <laughs> the volleyball. <laughs> well, he's just got this beard. He's just says, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> it's funny, when you look at uh, shots of him now playing for Carlton or before, pre-Beard, he's almost unrecognisable, isn't Unre- he? Do you know, I, haven't, I never really e- unrecognisable. I never even saw Castaway, but I know it's got Tom Hanks and a volleyball called Wilson in it. It's amazing how much you sort of take on board just by osmosis. Well, that's, that's you've, you've seen the movie. That's all there is to know. <laughs> it's really him on a boat just talking to a, I, I tell you talking what, to a volleyball. I'll tell you what I hate. Most about that, I hate the fact that I I know what's going on in virtually every reality TV show on, and I don't watch any of them. But you just you can't help but absorb it. It's all the bloody papers write about those days. But it's it's about a plane. He survives a plane crash. Yeah. If only he employed the skills he would later use playing Sully. You know, he played that that pilot that landed the plane. Oh yeah, yeah. If I, couldn't he call on those skills and not be a part of a plane crash? Yeah, but. Finey, have you heard the latest about the uh, the guys in the block with the party room and all the trouble that's caused? I, it's played in the background of my house because I don't watch it, but my wife is watching it, and apparently it's got a thin wall next to the next door neighbour's bedroom or something. Oh, of course. Who who wouldn't want who wouldn't want to have your the back of your bed right up against a <laughs> St Kilda party room? I've watched a second of it. I, ha- I don't does, want to know this stuff. Does the party room have, um, like, a, a, what's it called? Handcuffs connected to the wall? Oh, probably. And is a, it that sort of party room? There's probably a, a, a whipping dock and all sorts is of it, stuff going on. Is it waterproofed? Oh, I don't know. For water sports? Probably, 
pour burning wax on each other. I don't know what you do in a party room. You're obviously, anyway, you're obviously, you're obviously unfamiliar with water sports. Okay, so... <laughs> get on with it. This is not X-rated. No, I, are we going to talk about Cripps' game? No, Tom Byron. You know, <laughs> okay, my hot is Joel Selwood. Bad, finally. Bad. Why is that bad? Because I thought he was in real trouble last week in terms of his footballing future. What an idiot. <laughs> Can you write? Remember, you you had to sort of counsel me. Oh, on, did I? Yeah. Oh, good. You know, I, I said about how will Ablett, I have fears about them turning it around short and long term because age... Oh, yeah, I did. With you. I did. Sorry, I've forgotten because I was just really worried about Scott Cam storming off the set of the block in a fit of peak. Well, I deserve to be in that party room and receive the uh, probably obligatory spanking that comes <laughs> okay. with entry. All right, come on. Oh, it was great. I'm, I'm just apologising. Yeah. Look, I mean, how, st- how could you write him off? And, of course, the West Coast made a terrible mistake with him. They drew blood. <laughs> Do not draw blood with Selwood. Yeah. Just don't, do not hit him. Once mummified, once bleeding, he's unstoppable. Actually, I, I took a I, – I couldn't help it. He was being interviewed in the rooms afterwards and there was just blood sort of flowing freely down his face. And I thought, do you reckon they just even – I've got to, to take him, a pick. To get him going, do you think – Blood reckon, capsules? Yeah, exa- the old wrestling. <laughs> here it is. Look, I'm showing you on air here. Yeah. Check that out. I'll put it on the Footyology website. Oh, well, I've already tweeted it, you know, but he just, yeah, he lives, for, he lives for blood. I wouldn't be surprised if he drinks it. Are you suggesting Nosferatu? Uh, the the Living Dead? No, I, I haven't seen that one. Dracul? By the way, can, just while we're talking about post-game in the room, so you see I managed to get my Rage Against the Machine t-shirt on TV at the Chris Scott press conference. Yeah, that was the television highlight of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I said, no, we're not watching the cricket. We're not watching English soccer. We're hanging around for the presser. Well, I knew you'd be watching Roaming Brian, and it came just after that. Anyway, go on. What are we up to? You've done Joel Selwood. Yep. I'm doing my third one, and uh, similar team, different player, and his name is Cam Guthrie. And you might think, gee, that's a bit unusual. Well, I don't reckon many people would have thought when they saw Guthrie on the ins for this game, oh, he'll be a crucial factor in Geelong winning. Well, he was. He was terrific. In fact, it's close to the best game I reckon I've seen him play. He had 33 disposals. He had five tackles. He had four score involvements. Uh, It wasn't all just outside. He won a dozen contested possessions. And he played that link role, really, between their defence and attack. And his, his runs through midfield, I thought, were absolutely crucial. When I thought about it, what didn't they have against Collingwood? Well, that. They really lacked that running power, and he provided it. Um, so, look, he spent most of his career being undersold, and he had, uh, what, a great year, probably about three years ago. And then he sort of had injury issues, and his form's just plateaued a bit since. But... Uh, I thought he's absolutely integral to this win by the Cats, and uh, he'll obviously, going up against Richmond, um, be a crucial part of their midfield planning again. So well done, Cam. Great game. I finished with a not hot, and it is the folly, and I've discussed this already, Toby Green and Hawkins going to the tribunal, particularly Hawkins, but both of them. I guess Toby Green on your logic is not, I don't agree with it, but it's not unsound. If he got off last week, why not get off this week? I don't think he will. And Tom Hawkins is just wasting 
everybody's time and it's ten thousand dollars that he's going to cost his club i guess it's a with this ten thousand dollar system rather than risking a further penalty it's just a free hit for in the finals clubs you know yeah spend well, that much they, they would spend that much on the rings they put around the the serviette holders for the match day i thought you were going to say half cat their mascot, you know, they give they give half cats costume you, you know the guy, an extra dry clean. You know the guy who's in half cat. He had a kid recently. <laughs> Quarter, Quarter cat. cat. <laughs> <laughs> I did see that one coming. Uh, all right, there is enough for hot or not the highs and lows. By the way, if he's half cat, that implies that he only half barracks for Geelong. It's like I'm half cat, half what? Um, what's one up from a cat? Half cat. Well, maybe the other half barracks. I was going to say something. So I was going to just say something could have got me off air. Mate, yeah, no, don't. Well, don't. Maybe the other half. Think but, South Melbourne Market. Yeah. No. Think South Melbourne Market. Uh, no, I'd, I'd rather have an Andrews hamburger than one of those. It's very close, actually. Albert Park 144. Yeah, I, I know. No. Well, they are, they are renowned. Uh, I know the yeah. South Melbourne Market's renowned for that, but we're not, we're not doing those gags. Just before we end this segment. Of course. Yeah. Oh, you, you know the listeners don't like that because you segue. Yeah, okay. How how happy are Richmond and Collingwood with those with what you know the aftermath? Green best on ground this week, best for GWS last week. I had him in my All Australian team. He's like last. He didn't play the last round, but he's just been brilliant. Not playing. And Hawkins, really, the one thing that Richmond doesn't have is a lot of height and strength in defence. It, it, it is hand-ordered by these two clubs. Uh, they they will be laughing, and uh, actually, speaking of segues, that's pretty much the track I'm going uh, right now as we do some serious ranting. On Footyology, the rant of... All right, you came dangerously close to stealing my thunder then, but uh, I nipped that in the bud. I'm ready to rant, Fanny. Are you ready to count me in? I am, and I'll do it in the traditional manner. Which is? Three, two, rant. I'm pissed off with reality, Fanny. Oh, hang on. That's how I started my rant last week. But what the hell? I'm still pissed off with it. And this time, not just because of my own team's inadequacies. Here's the thing. We've got four sides left in the premiership race. And I'm not happy with any of them. My vested interest disappeared, predictably, in week one. So what about the Western Bulldogs doing it again from seventh, I thought? That'd be one for the Romantics. But no, they went down in flames as well. And now the biggest bandwagon in football since all those old players packed onto a bus to shoot that 4-20 and Pies commercial has lost its wheels and turned upside down in Wollongabba. How good would a Brisbane flag have been, Finey? They've come from nowhere, they play a great brand of footy, they've got the most likeable coach in the caper, and Daniel Rich is a dead ringer for the paddle pop line. Who can't love all that? And all of a sudden, they're gone. Beaten by a team that wears orange and charcoal with a theme song that sounds like Vladimir Putin wrote it and whose entire cheer squad is probably the staff of the AFL's game development department picking up some extra cash by doing a weekend shift. Look, good luck to GWS. That was a pretty gritty win on Saturday night. But I'm tipping we're not going to be hearing a big, big sound from the west of the town when they play Collingwood this week. In fact, we won't even hear a big, big sound from the western end of the ground when the Giants kick a goal. Seriously, Joffa could drop his guts while bending over to put on his gold jacket and it'll make more noise than a handful of GWS supporters will. 
90-odd thousand Collingwood fans without any opposition? That's not atmosphere, Finey. That's the most dangerous collective assembled in a public space since the Nuremberg rallies, but with even worse dress sense and less humour. So who are us neutrals out there supposed to get behind now? Geelong? Well, the cats are becoming like Hawthorne used to be. You just can't get rid of them. You certainly can't feel sorry for them anymore. Listen, cats, the Pyramid Building Society collapsed 30 years ago. We let you break your premiership drought, we sent Bobby Davis off on a high, and we gave you another two flags to go on with besides. Piss off already, will you? And Richmond, spare me. Look, it's alright for you kiddies out there who only knew them as football's biggest basket case until a couple of years ago, but us middle-aged types are still recovering from their dominance of the late 60s and early 70s. You youngsters weren't riding the Glen Waverley line train home from VFL Park, living in fear of armies of Geordie boys clad exclusively in Peter Wusher Welsh duffel coats, terrorising us all with their Miller shirts, treads, packets of Craven A filters and boisterous renditions of Tigerland at a time when Richmond fans actually knew the lyrics beyond the yellow and black bit. Like the rest of his state, Finey, I'm dreading the prospect of a Richmond-Collingwood grand final. It won't just be a case of lock up your daughters. I'm going to be locking up my ACDC record collection because that's going to be hot property when pissed ferals are looking for stuff to blast out of Holden Commodores draping shit-coloured scarves right across Melbourne. Some of us are old enough to remember the carnage which ensued when Akadaka and the Angels played the My Music Bowl back in 1981. Trust me, Finey, this free-for-all is going to make that gig look like the Wiggles appearing at a daycare centre. Yellow and black. Oh, oh, brace yourselves. It's going to be ugly. You know, I take a, a completely different view because What's you that? go to the grand final. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I, you don't. No, no. and Richmond Collingwood grand final is a mag- day to celebrate. It's the one day of in your life where you don't have to lock your house. No. <laughs> you can leave your car unlocked. Do you know how... You know, it, we walk around the streets... Not fearful of our lives. I'm talking about the aftermath, not the actual event. <laughs> but, All right, are you ready? I am indeed. Okay, three, two, one, rant. So here we are, four teams left in the race for the Premiership. Collingwood, who were in the preliminary final last year. GWS, who've been in three of them. Richmond, who's been in the last two of them. And Geelong, who's probably either been in them or been close to them for the best part of a decade and a half. Yeah, we've got a salary cap. We've got a draft, but it's the only draft we're feeling down the bottom of the ladder. Us Saints, those Blues, them poor sons, is the cold wind of no change at all. I mean, this system isn't working. This is Groundhog Day. I know these teams. And I know the outcome. Oh, we were titillated and tantalised and teased by Brisbane, but they're not there. No, this is a very familiar preliminary final weekend coming up. And as far as my team actually being part of that makeup, well, the movement's too slow. It's Lambert Fisher-like. Of course, you all know that that is the world's largest glacier. And yes... Glacier fans out there know that it is one of the faster-moving glaciers, averaging about 16 inches a day. Well, St Kilda's probably down with one of the smaller glaciers, like the Zimalos, at 8 inches a day. Slow, slow, slow progress to catch up to the 
preliminary final weekend we seem to have now every year. Same four teams and none of them mine. I didn't know you were the full book on glaciers. Of course, of course. Okay. Aren't we all? What do you call call a glacier expert? A glaciarologist or? Uh, A boring twit. (laughs) Man with too much time on his hands. But aren't we, don't we all have our favourite glaciers? Uh, well, mine is, I actually have been up the top of the Fox Glacier in uh, New Zealand. That, was, that a, was that a sort of ride that you have to hang on for the, you know, no, oh, that, she's moving. Now, what I do remember is it was a helicopter, and as I got out and closed the door, I slammed it on my finger, and there was blood all over the ice. So I remember that. But there's another one, uh, France Joseph Glacier as well. You're yeah, not no. familiar with that? I'm, I'm a northern... Oh, I think I'm, I might out-glacier you. I'm a northern hemispherian. Oh, okay. Well, they, a bit, they look down their nose at southern hemisphere glaciers. They're the bigger and the best. Is that right? I'd back you out know, glaciers you, against anyone. You know the Lambert Fisher club song? Never heard of it. We're the, <laughs> we're the mighty glacier. <laughs> we're the biggest and the... You know that song, that giant song? Yeah. Vladimir Putin wrote it. Didn't you hear my rant? Yeah, no, I'm saying, but what do you make of it? Um, Where do you rank it? To be honest, I actually don't mind it that much. It's a bit different. Much better than Suns. But they they should have to do the Cossack dance as they sing it. Yeah. Yeah. They don't. The... Much oh, the Suns one's terrible. But the way they sing it, they take all the, the Eastern European out of it. Yeah, they do. They really... They just ruin it. Suns is terrible. Obviously, the two... Teams in Perth are the worst. Um, yeah, but not great. But, not great. No, but not. Well, I was trying to be nice. We are the. We're the Eagles. We're flying high. Yeah. How no, about the worst line ever in any song? What is it? We're Lord? the big birds <laughs> of the big game. Kings of the big oh, game. Kings of the big. No, what? What big game? Well, what you, big you, you miss the second verse where they talk about all you wise men from the east. Get ready to be part of an eagle's feast or something like that. Have, have, have you heard the original Crow song? Yeah, it was, here we go, Camry Crows, here we there's go. There's a verse before it. Actually named their sponsor. Yeah, 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 the Camry Crows. But there's yeah. a whole preceding verse. I'm pretty sure it's the Crows or the Eagles, one of them. has an entire verse talking about the players that never came over. It's the Eagles. Oh, is it? Yeah, because I remember the film clip had Phil Markle in it for St Kilda. Oh, yeah, right. It's a whole, this, this thing about all these players lost to Victoria. Yeah. And Narkel was in it. He ended up playing a game for them. I would have thought they'd be grateful for the players that never came over to Victoria. They got to see him. There, there are some, by the way, lost club songs that you can catch on YouTube. Yeah. Including an attempt by, and I can't remember who did it. Somebody felt that the Fitzroy club song was no good. Oh, what? So they rewrote it. So good, the French buddy ripped their national anthem off off it. You know, the French embassy mm. launched, launched, uh, filed an official complaint with the in Australia that that salt tune was being used for the. I'm Fitzroy not concert. surprised. What came of it? Up yours. You know yeah. who wrote that song? Bill Stephen on Correct. the train, on a train to Western Australia. That's exactly right. Well um, done. I remember some. Well, I remember Geelong at one stage in the early eighties went with this. Come on, the cats! Yes. Come on, the cats! Yeah, this is Mike Brady <laughs> at his best. <laughs> Eight uh, SPC baked beans and spaghetti for hungry little human beans. Essendon we- went with one too. It was about. Um, uh, we're called the Bombers, the greatest team of all. Well, St. Kilda. Had to give that away, of course. By the way, you, we mentioned Mike Brady. Mm. I have did many a function with Mike. Yeah. 
And he, you know, he goes through all these songs. He goes, but you know what? I made most of my money just singing two words. Hard yakka. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hard yakka. <laughs> um, St Kilda's had two different club songs. Yeah, well, St Kilda renamed themselves the Southern yeah, Saints. That was the Saints. We're that proud well. and we've got a lot of fight. We're on the rise and we'll hit, the, and then a ridiculous sign. When we hit, we hit them hard and we make them drop their guard because we're loyal to our mates because we're the saints. And I used to say, mates doesn't rhyme with saints. So I used to sing, because we're loyal and we paints. And we're the <laughs> but we had a song back at the Junction Oval. Yeah, what was it? Oh, I do love to be beside the oh, sea. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, okay. The last line in that is not prophetic. Yeah. Oh, we've, we do, it, it finishes, oh, we've got hopes of winning the flag. Yes, we've got it in the bag, don't I? <laughs> no, we don't. Well, the uh, Bulldogs, of course, had to re or did rewrite theirs because it said we'll come out smiling if Whether we, we win, win or, or lose. lose. Yeah, two teams had that. I think Fitzroy's also had a win or lose attitude yeah. to it. And North, of course, still do the um, out we come to play just for recreation's sake to pass the time away. All right, Geelong used to have their club song to that theme. The, before they used Bizet's Toreador, yeah, their tune was the same as the North Melbourne one. Oh, really? Correct. Okay. The Bulldog song, Sons of the Sea, yeah, is used in the movie The Club by Rostov's Hawthorne. That's their club songs. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there's a part of that song that the Bulldogs don't sing. And what is it? So it sounds bobbing up and down as we go. So in between every line, they're supposed to bob up and down. And (laughs) Hawthorne do it in the club, bobbing up and down as we go up and down. And you see Hawthorne champions singing that song. So they must have had to take some time because it was a team of the 70s. I reckon... um Hawthorne are pretty lucky they didn't have a theme song when they were called either the Mayblooms or the Mustard Pots. Yeah, but that scene. How do we get onto this? That it's a great scene in the club. Hawthorne singing that because you yeah. see some great players singing this really weird song. I can't remember any opposition players in that. Yeah, they were they were like the Hawthorne player of the set of the early seventies. Okay. I think Crimo's in it. Yeah, Rost Rostoff was good. Clearly a Barassi. Um, Rostov's great because, yeah. you know, what's his name? The, the president of Collingwood. Yeah. I no, can get stuffed. We've, we've got Rostov. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that was a good segue. I, I did enjoy that, even if it's taken us over our intended running time. Um, no, you can't Final say word. anything else. Let's finish this off, really. On Footyology, the final word. All right, uh, now the more observant of you might think, you know, usually do the final word in our Sunday night one. Well, special reason to do it tonight, and that is, it was very remiss of me, all my mistake, but when we announced our competition winner on Thursday, Finey, what did we forget to do? Give them another competition to sink their very capable teeth into. And uh, I believe you've been on the case. What have you come up with? Well, we've got the landmarks of... A preliminary final weekend, a grand final, but also Brownlow night. Of course. And you know what? We've heard the stories of Teasdale's suit and all the famous stories from Favola to others that have come out of the periphery of the night. But how about your own personal Brownlow night story? You might have been at a sponsor's table. You might have gone there to get an autograph. You might have been with mates watching the 
Brownlow and something funny happened. You might have had a, a wager that went awry or a wager that came good. Or you might have run into the Brownlow medalist the day after. You might have been the person who went to the Footscray or Spotswood police uh, fire station to tell Fred Goldsmith he'd won the brown load. <laughs> Do you reckon they'll still be here to tell us that story? Maybe it, not. Or it could be a story about a particular winner or a moment during a telecast that you saw, but your your favourite brown low memory. We're putting our listeners in the brown low hot seat. Yeah, and we, we liked uh, the alliteration that came with our last lot of entries, so... Uh, let's let's continue with that. Let's seek a bit of uh, creative uh, creativity from our audience and uh, get your entries in. Your favourite Brownlow Medal memory, either personal or involving one of the winners or the telecast or whatever comes to mind, and give us give us a bit of a spiel. See, convince us why your memory should be ranked above all others, and for your troubles, you will win. And Andrew's Hamburgers T-shirt in your selected size. And Andrew's Hamburgers cap. A house from Nick's... No, you won't win a house. Mm. Uh, you will win a 100% organic cotton argan gym towel. Finey, they come no finer. Valued at about $35. There is your footyology prize pack. And just a further note too, that our grand final quiz, which will be the one after this, this is the penultimate footyology uh, quiz or competition, our grand final quiz finally, we have confirmed a terrific prize for our grand final quiz and it is a full bed set. Do you know what that actually includes? Because I don't that think would I, be that would be a bed cover. <laughs> yes. Pillow slips. Yes. Sheets. sheets. Fitted and loose. Yes. Uh, do we get pillow slips? Yes, yeah. Uh, any other little sort of doily things you uh, put on? You know, my wife puts these um, decorative cushions on the bed oh. during the day, and I'm not. And they're all they're all shaped. They're, they all face a certain direction. It's like she's trying to um, make contact with the ancient Aztecs or the some some sort of god. Don't move it. Don't move it. That that's you've no 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 the the gold tasselled one faces. Towards of the bedroom. What are you Mecca. doing? You know, you, can't you read the hieroglyphics of bed cushions? You just made me realise one of my pet hates, and it's when you're staying in a hotel and you're there for work, and inevitably you've had a few drinks afterwards. So you come back to your room at about two a.m., needing to wake up at six to get the seven a.m. flight or something. Inevitably, you know, you're a bit the worse aware, mainly tired, perhaps a bit emotional as well. You want to just climb into bed. No, you got to throw off about fifteen pillows all over the bed. How, how, but how tightly is the bed? Oh, you've got to. You need a jackhammer to get the sheet down. Have you ever seen? Anyway, Billy, none of that with the argon bed set. Have you ever seen Billy Conley's story about? Getting into a hotel room. No, but can you say it very quickly? Yeah, it's a beauty because what he does is he just flops in late one night in the bed. It takes all his clothes off, so he's not wearing anything, and he doesn't realise that he's actually fallen asleep on top of the the um, dinner mint, the chocolate mint that they put <laughs> that they put on his pillow. Yeah, and he says during a night of tossing and turning, it's run. It's it's on his face. It's it's on his stomach. He's woken up the next morning by housekeeping, who sort of came into the room. And she is faced with this revolting sight <laughs> of a man lying in bed with this brown smear from his from his face down to his belly button. So you know what he does? 
Right. Looks at her and he goes, I looked at her. I can't do his accent. He looks at her and just takes his finger and runs it all the way from his belly button back up to his chin and sticks it in his ah, mouth. Well, goes, Yummy. Lovely. <laughs> and on that suitably debauched note, uh, I think... It was only a, after dinner, Mint. We'll call it a day. Anyway, save you, uh, don't save yourself for our grand final quiz. It is a fantastic prize. But get in on this one first, and you'll still be eligible for the grand prize, our final quiz of the 2019 season. That's it for this Sunday review edition. Hope you've enjoyed all the... Uh, banter, and we were talking footy there at one stage. Seems like a long time ago now, however. I think finally, given our uh, segue into alternative club songs, there well, is no... We've got to pick one of a team that's still still in the case. I'm on the case. I'm on the case. I, I rem- was trying to remember who did come on the Cats, and of course, who better to sing it... Who did come on the Cats? The, than the man... Oh, stop it. The, <laughs> I'm asking, who did it? The man who sung... The national the first uh, pre-game entertainer to sing the national anthem at a VFL grand final. The year was nineteen seventy-seven, and that man was. Uh, are you saying that his name is rhyming slang for what the song actually is? Correct, and that is Barry Crocker, and come on the cats. We'll see you on Thursday. And you start to reminisce You think of all the champions we've had Like Hickey, Smith and Flanagan Pianto, Davis and Tresize Gunninan, Turner and Free and John Hyde Then later there was Polly Wade, Lord and Duggan too The champions that made you swell with pride Come on, the hats Let's show them we belong with the greatest fire.